0: ladies and gentlemen it's another week it's another episode of cincy brewcast the voice of cincy craft i am sitting here finally doing a show on location at Rheingeist. i am joined by jim matt the head brewer here if you had any idea how long i've been trying to plan this show it um we've we've been doing the podcast for what two and a half two years two and a half years something like that and since then, we've been trying to play in this show. So That's it's, a long time. It's a time. long time coming, and it puts a whole lot on your shoulders to make it one of the best shows we've ever done. So <laughs> I'll try not to get too much uh, performance anxiety over that intro. So. <laughs> thank you for, for joining me, and thank sure, you for, for inviting me here. And uh, um, Apologies to my wife for another night out drinking. Honey, I love you. <laughs> it happens. It happens. It's and, f- and to mine as well. It's, it's for the good of Cincinnati beers, the way I always word it, but... Um, I don't know. We'll see how long I can use that excuse and how long it lasts. Exactly. You can only use it so
1: many times before it kind of uh, loses its luster and and its uh, influence and all
0: that. Before before she realizes that I'm just doing this show just to get a chance to go out and drink places. But we've got a whole bunch of stuff to cover here. Um, Sure we always kind of start the same way though there's there's a very clear reason that as a beer drinker you get into beer podcasting and that's to drink more beer so we always start with a, a segment on the show um that well, we from the beer, beer fridge it's where we drink beer we try some beer and you've got um a flight of four that you brought over for me who i was setting up we um, do um, some really great stuff that i'm excited to try
1: Yes, and then these are more um, seasonal or specialty beers that um, we're featuring today. So um, I'll just briefly go over what the name of each one, what it is. So, so Inc. is our imperial stout. Um, we just released, a, did a press release, and in fact, you will see if you go to the um, the blog on com you'll see a beer review on this. Um, I do beer reviews for our beers. Um, Mainly for marketing purposes, but it, it's to try and get people to understand what the flavors are and what the brewer's intent is because I feel that um, if if you don't clearly um, communicate what your intent is um, it it's kind of confusing for the customer well it, it can get you know
0: it can get lost in, in 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 everything else you know it's hard to say an imperial stout anymore because there's X amount of different kinds of Imperial Stouts. There's some that are very much like ink that's kind of in the lighter body style. And um, I, I hate to say that 10% is mid range on I, on the uh, it is. <laughs> ABV for an Imperial Stout anymore, it definitely, but it is. Yes. And so, you know, it, it, it definitely has its own kind of spot that it fits in Imperial Stouts. And um, I, for one, always appreciate seeing some kind of notes like that from a place. That's kind of why we started this whole segment. It was fun to sit down with somebody that knew the intent of the beer and, mm-hmm. and explain mm-hmm. it and, and drink with that person and um, you know we kind of it was 50-50 with people that listen to the show everybody either loves this segment or hates it they're either really thirsty listening to it at work or they just love hearing all that stuff so
1: well it's um, kind of like a TV show about cooking it's like hey this is all well and good but I'd love to try that
0: final product <laughs> right. so. we have a rule in my house we, we can't watch any kind of cooking shows unless we're currently eating something you can't do it just in normal life good so idea. ink um, what else do we have here? What's next? Uh, do you, you want to taste one, them as we go, or do you want to go through them all um, first? I'll just go
1: through own. briefly what they are, and okay. then um, we'll taste them, and then we'll go into more depth. So, so the second beer um, is Emergency Malt Kit, and mm. that is our uh, second collaboration brew with uh, my friends at Sun King Brewing Company. The third beer is a Mosaic. It's a single hop pale ale with, uh, I'll let the viewers guess what single hop we use in that <laughs> one. And then the fourth one is um, Experimental Double IPA 008. Right,
0: and so anybody who's kind of been paying attention around town, there's been this series of, of these double IPAs kind of rolling through, and uh, I know I, I'm a Jungle Gems shopper. I, I mm-hmm. live around the corner, so we get to see them on tap there all the time, and it's always a big hit when the new one comes on. So
1: And it's an um, awesome store, it's, it's exciting. All right, so where do you want to start? Um, let's start <laughs> with uh, the beer that's perhaps the lightest as far as alcohol goes, and that's Mosaic. Mosaic. Yeah, Mosaic. So um, you're looking at... Uh, um, low, less than 5.5 percent, or a little bit less than that, um, alcohol by volume. The 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 uh, inspiration for this beer, if you will, we don't um, I, I don't like use the term clone because I don't want to exactly clone somebody else's beer because there's already a great beer out there and I don't want to cl- clone it. But it's inspired. I, I love uh, Founder's Mosaic Promise, so um, we took some of the best characters from that beer, which is mosaic obviously and then uh, golden promise malt we didn't use all golden promise malt um, just because I feel like it can be too assertive if it's used in, in too much so we use small percentage about 13% of uh, golden promise in there um, very very simple malt bill we use mosaic in the in the kettle in the whirlpool in the dry hop um, just a straight up pale ale we like to do a lot of these single hot pale ale um, beers this and was one of the first you guys
0: did right too if, if I remember right from what was it wasn't last year it was two years ago right when two years ago it
1: out. yeah this is probably one of the the early ones um and we like to go through these because it helps us understand um you can do all the hop sniffing that you want you can try everybody else's beer that could be made with a single hop but it doesn't go through your own processes and and um even though it says mosaic on it it may be different depending on right. the hop farmer that you get it from so um I kind of use the analogy, I'm a really big coffee freak, and I love espresso, so um, espressos are generally a blend of coffees, um, because it kind of pulls together all the strengths of all all the coffees in the espresso. And I feel kind of the same way about pale ales and IPAs, is um, there are not a lot of hops that really give you that complexity over the entire range. Mosaic is one of those. Um, the I've mo- heard it
0: called kind of like a, a wonder hop before, where it, it kind of fits into all those it is different indeed. areas in the, in the process. So you've got three main, quote-unquote, uses of hops when you're brewing, right? You've got, you know the very beginning, if you throw them in there, that's where you get all the, the bitterness, Correct. right? Mm-hmm. Middle would be flavor and the end would be aroma. Yes. And so this mm-hmm. is one of those hops that depending on where you put it in there, it, it, it fits into all those. Exactly. Very well.
1: And and you definitely get a difference if uh, you have the chance to go out and do some hop sniffing. I get um, fortunate to be able to go out and do that every year and you smell the the raw hops and, and you kind of can get a profile. So in the case of Mosaic, um, it's an actual daughter of Nugget, which is a real herbal. Um, in Nugget, uh, it's a high alpha acid hop. Uh, I get some, sometimes I get some oregano character out of it, but the spectrum of herbal. Um, and then Simcoe, it has like that really kind of dank blood orange. Some people would call the cat pee thing. I don't, my palate doesn't quite get it like that, but, um, but it has that very deep piney, resin base bass note to it. And, and the marriage of these two, um, you do get an herbal component, and you do get those kind of lower base tones, but you also get a really wonderful tropical character coming through it. That's what's always fun to me.
0: Depending on the temperature of the beer, depending on what else I've been drinking, sometimes it pops really, really fruity for me, and I get lots of like bubble gum even too, mm-hmm. and like this is real like 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 poppy fruit. And then other times, I, it's almost two separate things sitting on my palate. I'll have that real kind of earthy herbal thing. And then mm-hmm. on top of that up here, there's this other kind of piney, dank kind of flavor. And I get those two separate ones. So it's a real fun hop for me to kind of see where it hits depending on the day and depending on the beer and all that stuff.
1: And we try and let the hop shine in this one by itself because it, it's a beautiful hop. We, we love it. We do select that hop um, for very particular flavor and aroma components. So, um, this is one of those experiments where we did a single hot pale ale. It was so popular, we decided to put it in the bottles.
0: It would be really good in a can in the summertime next I've, to the pool.
1: I've heard that, and um, <laughs> I, I would say that that is not out of the realm of possibility whatsoever.
0: It's, it's delicious. And I, um, I, I'm a huge fan of single hot pale ales because my knowledge of hops and things like that is so limited. And mm-hmm. so I, I love that exploration into things. And, you know, you'll like you said, you'll go one place and you'll see that there's mosaic. But then there might be something else in there, too. And that's what you're getting that day. And so I, I like something like this that really kind of lets that hop step forward and kind of shine. And um, yeah, I, there's been a lot of people that have kind of given you guys a little bit of shit about your, your pale ales or your IPAs. And people say that's all you do, which we're going to see in a second. That's not all you do. Yes. But that being said, you do them very well. Thank
1: you. And so... Uh, um, the main reason why we do so many of those is um, because they sell well. So if we and it's not just a a marketing stunt we in the building collectively we like these beers um, but also the public likes them as well when we come out with a hobby beer it generally sells very well our our best selling beer 40 percent of our sales or so is truth ipa it's our flagship ipa so it might even be the best selling beer in cincinnati right now i'm not sure it could be it's probably up there um so i understand where those people are coming from yes we do make a lot of IPAs, pale ales, double IPAs. Um, however, we do explore other styles like we'll get into here. So right. th- so I did want to feature a couple of hobby ones and then a couple of not so happy ones. Right. So
0: what do we get to go to next?
1: Next, um, let's go with uh, Emergency Malt Kit next. Um, this, was, this was a fun one to
0: do. I've been drinking this one a lot this week and I'm absolutely in love with it. I am... Um, you know, I liked the Emergency Hop Kit last year. It was delicious. It was a great IPA. But this, this is more my speed. I like those malts. That 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 rich flavor. That um, well, especially this time of year. I mean, it's a terrible day outside. It's rainy. Yes. It's chilly. It just you know, beer like this kind of sits perfect for me.
1: I think um, it Emergency Malt Kit originally started as a bit of a joke uh, because shortly after Emergency Hop Kit, uh, Bryant, one of our co-founders, like mentioned Emergency Malt Kit. And then uh, Dave Colt, uh, the, the head brewer and, and co-owner over at um, Sun King, and I were up at uh, Festival barrel Age Beers last year and um, had a somewhat inebri- inebriated conversation about it. And we are kind of spitballing some ideas and um, came together and decided that it would be kind of a cross between their... Um, their beer that's uh, called Wee Muckle. So Wee Muckle is essentially a big version of their Wee Mac, which is a Scottish ale. So it's a right. strong Scotch ale, and uh, kind of a mashup between that and Mastodon, which is our Belgian dark strong. But uh, we wanted to bring the alcohol level down because Wee Muckle and uh, Mastodon are 10% plus beers, and and Bryant wanted to can them, and and his. Uh, I believe his email to me one night was he still wants to be able to drink a six-pack and still punch a moose <laughs> in the face, whatever that means. Um, I think that we're if you drink a six-pack, you may be seeing yourself punching um, a moose in the face. But uh, So uh, the malt bill for this is just standard two rows of the base. Um, we did some aromatic malt, which is common to both Mastodon and Wee Muckle. We use some Abbey malt, which is in Mastodon. We use some... Uh, chocolate malt to, to give it a little bit more color um we use a scottish ale yeast to ferment it so you get a little bit of fruity esters from that and then um one of the hops that dave really likes that he uses in a few of the beers is called bodicea it's a fairly little known english hop it's got some really interesting stone fruit and currant um black currant character to it but it's not a hot focused beer i think we threw like six pounds in, in a 10 minute edition so it's not really about the hop, but that hop complements the hop, right. the, well, the malt bill. That's quite you
0: know the, the the hop note to that is is so kind of unique. It isn't those those big giant hops that we're used to around town. It it, it almost does kind of blend in with the malt and, and and add another character to to the malt bill, and it's. um it's really good. Thank you. <laughs> my, uh, my tasting notes will be up on this this week, too, by the way, for anybody that's listening. But, well, I guess they will up last week when you're listening to this, so um, jump over there and look at these. I I, I absolutely love this beer. Is this going to be... Um, the collaboration with sun king is this going to be a yearly thing i mean we got emergency yeast kit next year or something i mean so I don't you know joke you about go. that
1: and we have <laughs> joked around about that
0: too i think um, it'll be fun like a saison or something i mean there's some
1: neat stuff you could do that that where the yeast is the star correct i believe a belgian style would be awesome or you could go the direction of the um what i call the yeast coast ipas the really <laughs> hazy ones right. which i'm not a huge fan of and that's a, a that's a different type of conversation um I just don't think that that term would necessarily sell very well from a marketing standpoint. Beer its like that sounds sounds kind of gross. But I do think that um, we will continue to have a really great relationship with the Sun King, and I won't can't say whether uh, we will be doing one or not. We haven't really talked about it, right. but uh, you never know what's going to happen when Dave and I get together and have a few beers. So right. um, I de- it's definitely not out of the realm of possibility, but. But we probably, um, much to some people's dismay, we um, probably will not bring emergency hop kit back. That was a one-time deal, and, and we probably won't bring this one back. Um, but also,
0: get out right now and get it because it's on shelves right it's now. It's on the so. shelves
1: right now. Um, it's got pretty good shelf life. It's not going to deteriorate like a like a hop a hobby beer will. And um, I we, have
0: to confess, I drank an emergency hop kit probably three weeks ago, and it. It was holding together pretty well. Really, I, I was actually surprised. i uh, That is surprising. I needed a can for my collection because I didn't save any last year, and so somebody said, "Oh, I've got a couple cans left over." Bring. So, oh, that's fine. It's, they're
1: full. Like,
0: oh, okay, you know, and so I, I'm not gonna just put a full can on the shelf. I gotta drink it. So, um, we generally
1: about? say uh, about a 90 day shelf life on the hoppy beers. Um, it, after it, that, they they really start to fade the flavor and the aroma, and you'll get kind of that caramel character um, that comes through more and the bitterness comes through a little bit more. And um, we do tasting panels on these things all the time. So. Right. Well, it would be interesting to try something like that.
0: I've always wanted to do, you know, an IPA like that fresh and then some aged ones. And I've got some stuff I'm thinking about doing with that of some mm-hmm. some six packs and stash them away and doing a big, you know, um, blind taste of a bunch of different ones to see how they fade. But
1: I, I highly recommend the, uh, the blind tasting on those and we, we do that in our sensory panel all the time where we take a uh, co- um, comp- competitor's beers from around the, the city and around the state and even around the nation and we'll throw them in blind um, so nobody knows what they're, they're just like a theme like IPAs or whatever and then people are taking notes on it and um, it's incredible how even some of the finest craft breweries in this nation. Um, just shipping that beer across, stored on a warm shelf, um, various sorts of trade damage—it it just really comes through, and it, it's really obvious. So that's why we love to um, like try and keep our footprint as small as possible. Um, I can't speak for the owners about how far they want to expand beyond our current expansion, but um, I'm I'm a big fan of like staying within your region. That way you can have tighter control over your quality. And,
0: and we've heard that you know we're talking to Mad Tree and places like that. It's like we want to be regional but what does that mean and how how close can you keep it and still go out and how can you keep that getting I and you guys have the advantage of the self-distribution so you know how your beer is being treated when it till it gets to the retailer at least even correct though, you know, so yes. there's there's a little bit more control there you know it's that's a whole nother topic for a whole nother day of, of that whole side of the business you know you can make the best beer in the world and if you ship it over an ocean, it turns out pretty crappy sometimes. And it that's, does. That's why a lot of us don't buy imports off the shelf anymore because you just never know what you're gonna get. So, exactly. again, whole nother topic for a whole other day.
1: Exactly, yeah. Um, I think the third one, I mean, we have two, two bigger beers here, um, but we can talk about Experimental Double IPA 8. So this one, um, it's kind of an offshoot of our Experimental Double IPA number four. Um, and that beer um, that was inspired by a uh, famous west coast uh, IPA that we kind of deconstructed the recipe a little bit um, so in this one there's Centennial Simcoe, Chinook and Columbus so our intention was to do fairly west coast it's like two row and wheat is the only real base malt in there and then uh, loads of those hops um, laid in the boil and the whirlpool and about two pounds per barrel in the dry hop What's the uh, ABV on this? 8.3. Actually, this one's 8 8, 8 on the nose, 8% on the nose. So the thing for me was um, I'm not a personal... Columbus hops are not my personal favorite. Um, So when we first brewed Experimental 004, we used Columbus hops in it, and then we get this really great... um, Chinook hop from a hop farm called Shampoo Hop Farms and so I decided I wanted to swap out the, the Columbus with the Chinook so we did a batch of that and then we did a batch of the of the beer with the Columbus in it in, in two different fermenters um, they fermented same time and um, so we pulled, pulled a keg of each off and we tried them side by side and then at the end of the day we blended them to make 008. That's fun yeah so that that's really fun so um i think most of the people did prefer the beer that was uh that had the chinook in it there are a couple people in the building that just don't like chinook hops and i can understand that but the the little bit of columbus in there i do do think adds something um too too much on the columbus and it gets really really dank almost rubbery to me and and i'm pretty sensitive to sulfur compounds um and so that can be too much and um you know there are some times that they use a combination of Columbus and Chinook. Some of the West Coast breweries, and, and not that I've ever done this, but it tastes like you're drinking bong water. just so resiny and and so so cannabis like that. It's just like, ugh, it's just too much. But I like the balance in this one. It's dry, um, really dry uh, double IPA. That's kind of what we shoot for most of the time. Um, well, it's it's that definition
0: of quote unquote hoppy. What people think hoppy is, you know, it's big. It's it, it finishes real clean. It just it's that big burst of of really big fruity danky flavors that then just cuts off and kind of finishes really clean and exactly. leaves you just wanting more and more and more, which 80% could catch up with you pretty fast.
1: I do think the beers, most of the beers we do here have a, a very common theme to them. And some people like to use the term, um, hot house flavor. And there, there's a certain way that we like to make the beers. We like most of them to dry out pretty well. Cause if you go back to the malt kit, it's malty, but dry. And, um, I kind of use the uh, the wine analogy on that because some people say, I don't like this wine because it's too sweet. It's like, it's not sweet at all. It's fruity. So the same thing, because um, sweetness is just um, level of sugar in there, high or low. Right. Fruit is like level of fruit flavor. Um, so I use the same analogy with malty beers because some people think malty beers are sweet, but uh, malt kit is not sweet. It's it's actually fermented out quite dry, but it's malty. So right. um, try Try and give the consumer a little bit of education there and, and try and increase their beer, beer vocabulary and at the end of the day i i love the educational part of my job and um my my brewing number of hours on the brew deck uh, keeps going down and down over time I, I spend a lot more time in the quality lab because quality is very very important here and um it also gives me the chance to educate people i work with educate the the consumers and um i i get emails in our quality at ryan com email and i suggest that anybody listening if you have a problem with the beer um email us first and we'll look into it and if there's truly something wrong with the beer we'll we'll definitely replace it or we'll go through and we'll find out what you don't like about it and and
0: so you're saying people shouldn't just start blowing up social media with some kind of random thing that
1: they want to some people do that and i understand that um you know, people are paying good money for beer, and and I get it. It's like I want to, you know, let everybody know that I hate, Ryan Geist, whatever. It's like I get it. it it's fine. Um, but uh, there's a way to handle it where where it's actually um, going to use corporate buzzword win-win. Like if you email me, and you're reasonable about what you get out of it or what you don't, um, what I'll do is I'll go to the shelf and I'll go to our warm shelf down in our lab and I'll pull the beer off and, and I'll taste it and I'll put in our century panel it's like yeah I can see where this person might be getting this or no I'm just not getting it It, perhaps it's this person's taste Um, perhaps it's the way the beer was uh, stored so I'm educating the consumer on the date code on the bottom of the can Um, even though I I can seem kind of gruff at times and and I am Um, if if a consumer has a legitimate concern I will do what I can uh, to make it right with them Um, be it through education replace it if somebody's out of town. Uh, maybe send them a hat or something like that but I just uh, I want to make sure that we clear the air because there are differences between um, technical flaws in beer um, how the beer was stored can become a technical flaw and maybe somebody just plain doesn't like it which is like okay but if you just if if you take to that
0: I'm just going to jump on Facebook and and write a big rant and and post it to whatever beer society page you want to Mm -hmm. it doesn't really fix anything in, in my it, it just it's not helping anybody it, it just, doesn't it really. creates some kind of big controversy and gets a bunch of people riled up and that's fun to watch but it's not solving anything in the long term for what this beer scene is and exactly um, yeah you know, like you said it, you maybe just don't like the beer or you might have had it on dirty tap
1: line which 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 does happen quite a bit and I tried to educate consumers about that as well um, we've had those issues before um, we don't really have control Um, Like, once it leaves our building, we don't really have much control of it um, because, like you said, we self-distribute, but we still use distributors down in Kentucky, Northern Ohio. Um, We are distributing in Massachusetts now. Um, We are starting with cider, but the beer scene there is pretty good, so we decided to go out there. But um, at any point after it leaves our building, there are various ways where the the beer can go downhill. It's uh, stored improperly for every 10 degrees, you increase the temperature the beer, the rate of staling of the beer approximately doubles Um, so a beer stored um, 8 weeks at 40 degrees is like a beer stored um, for like a week at 80 degrees Um, but also like dirty tap lines or even um, not beer clean glasses it's like the beer um, the beer glasses have sanitizer in them whatever any little point along there um, can fall flat and it looks looks bad on us Sometimes be beyond our control, sometimes not.
0: And again, it's that that education side where if you if you understand these things, you learn these things somewhere along the way. Then when you are at that bar, you are able to say to somebody, "Hey, this is going on with us," and and it just improves everything all along. So exactly. just exactly, we're getting on a tangent. I oh, wanna, that's okay. I want to drink this
1: ink. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> Sounds good. Yeah. So that's uh, experimental IPA number eight. Uh, so ink is the Imperial Stout that we just released. Um, it's a big beer. <coughs> 22 Play-Doh, 1088 uh, for you home brewers out there that that talk in specific gravity. Um, It's it's actually a beer that we prefer to brew on our old system over here, our 20 barrel JV system. It handles the higher gravity better. Um, So our intention with this beer, there are lots of beers out there and I won't mention any names, but there are Imperial Stouts out there that are kind of um, very thin and very dry and very acrid. Um, there, there's the other end of the spectrum. There's a really highly touted um, Imperial Stout that like, is turned around in a short period of time and people stand in line for it. Um, to my palate, it's kind of sweet. I don't like that cloying sweetness um, if I'm going to drink like, more than a few ounces of it. So it's a great Imperial Stout for sharing, but um, I don't know. As, as that one ages, I get a little bit of this like soy sauce character to it. So our intention was to be somewhere in the middle. It's not the biggest, baddest, you know, most intimidating Russian imperial stout around, but we're looking for it to fit our profile, which is balance. So nothing. It's a, it's a
0: drinkable imperial stout. Is right. that a good way a to describe it? It's not really sessionable,
1: <laughs> but it's drinkable. Drinkability well, scales. And, and it
0: is like it's it's it it doesn't it doesn't sit really heavy on you know on the palate. It doesn't. It, that fill you up thing where people oh it's a meal in a glass kind of thing it doesn't mm-hmm. sit that way with me it seems um almost more taste wise like a porter where it, uh-huh. it just it goes down really easy and i just i, I want to fill an actual glass of it and sit there and drink it instead of just a little taste of it and it's really good thank you um i'm dying to know how it sellers i haven't opened any of my bottles that i've been stashing away yet and i'm just I'm dying to see how well it changes over time.
1: We've had some pretty good experience um, with it here in house, and we've done um, some forced aging studies on it. Um, it also holds up pretty well in the barrel. I mean, it's not starting out to be the most viscous um, imperial stout on the planet. So um, whenever you put a beer in a barrel, it's going to thin out. But but I think that um, the barrel character really melds very well with with the uh, the actual imperial stout. So did age some in sherry barrels we've aged some in in bourbon barrels barrels from various suppliers and the,
0: the sherry barrel version did get a couple little accolades there right
1: it did it got <laughs> GABF, but um also had some issues with it refermenting in the bottle so um fully disclosed this once we were finding out what was going on and um were able to backtrack that. That's when the the lab wasn't even set up when we were doing that. So um, what happened was the uh, the sherry barrels um, sherry's fermented with a with a an organism called sherry floor, and sherry floor is a mixture of yeast and bacteria, like lactobacillus bacteria. So our sherry barrels weren't fully sterilized. Um, basically, the way that you treat um, barrels can be with chemical or with heat or some combination thereof. So um, the heat wasn't enough to kill the floor. So um, continue to referment the bottles, which if the bottles were stored at room temperature was a problem. If the bottles were stirred, stored at refrigerator temperature, it was not because we pulled some bottles out as recently as about two weeks ago, and it's tasting as good as when it went to GABF, so it hasn't re-fermented. So, um, so yes, that was the the... Uh, unintended consequence of the sherry barrels. But now that we have the lab set up, we can analyze every single barrel for organisms before we even blend it and prevent that from happening. How
0: is that, that give and take, though? You know, you have this beer that had this... this probably the biggest issue that, that you guys have had that the public is aware of. mm mm-hmm. yep. But at the same time, arguably your biggest award-winning beer to date right there, right along with it. So how sure. does that, you know, like...
1: Um, I think that, again, it's consumer education. So you, you have to emphasize that that beer wasn't really designed for long term aging. And but if you're going to age it, age it in a refrigerator and not at cellar temperature. So the most of the people that are um, really proficient at beer aging will say, well, it won't age in a refrigerator. It's aging very slowly. I'm like, and my response to that would be, that's the point. Um, as it continues to re ferment in that bottle. it it hasn't really produced any off flavors to speak of, but it just gets really foamy, and it just isn't. Um, and it thins the beer out a little bit more. So um, that's just a... And, and we should probably be more communicative about that beer and any other beer that we don't feel should be aged. And, um, you know, a few of them are age-worthy, and, and some aren't. So um, and going forward, we'll try and make make sure people are aware of on that. And some of that, you know, anybody who
0: puts a beer cellar in their house and starts throwing beer in it it's it's an experiment in itself you don't know how things are going to age you don't know what's going to happen so you kind of are taking that risk
1: too when you when you do that exactly and and barrels um i've given some some talks about um to home brewers and and other commercial brewers about um barrel aging beer it's like a barrel is a living organism you can't fully sterilize the barrel unless you have a autoclave the size of the barrel which is impractical um it's just there will always be something living in that barrel, and it's just a matter of making sure um, if there is something there, it's the low level and it's not gonna it's not gonna kill the beer. Um, if you look at at the guys up at uh, Goose Island, I mean, very famous, some of the the best stouts in the country and even in the world with Bourbon County, um, even they have had problems with contaminated well, it, barrels.
0: It, it happens with everybody, and it you does. know, we don't want to you know call everybody out around town but exactly. you, can, you can cite this, uh, this instance here, this instance there where it's happened and that's kind of also what makes it fun though I mean we, we also don't see that other side of when you put something in a barrel and this barrel turns out, this one doesn't this one has something going on and it gets dumped and then this one needs blended with this, we don't see that side
1: either that is what makes barrel aging beer fun so it it's, a, it's definitely an art form and uh, you know you can get barrels from the very same source and they will come out different
0: right it's, it's what makes it fun it's craft beer exactly it's craft <laughs> let's let's take a quick break um i want to talk about you i want to hear your story where you came from we've all heard the ryan guy's story over and over. we'll talk about that a little bit but want to hear a little bit more about you and uh, we'll be back since brewcast the voice of Cincy craft
2: hi mike Snows here with a word about brewhouse dog bones by now, craft beer fans all over Cincinnati know the distinctive brown paper sack with a big red bone. You've seen it in great breweries like Mount Carmel, Listerman's, Rheingeist, Eight Ball, Braxton, and more. At just five bucks a bag, you know you can't find a more healthful or delicious treat for your best friend, made from spent brewery grains, organic eggs, peanut butter, and brown rice flour. But did you know that Brewhouse Dog Bones is an educational program for developmentally disabled teens and young adults? It's available through the New Richmond Cincinnati Public, for Thomas public sycamore oak hills and many more school districts across southwest ohio and northern kentucky for more information on where to find brew house dog bones or how to get your developmentally disabled loved one or your school district involved in the brew house dog bones program contact lisa graham at area code 513-520-0310 or visit www.brewhousedogbones.com give your dog the craft experience with brew house dog bones um, I look at I look at the Bud Light drinkers out there as a you know a forest and They're all out there and, and they don't know any better yet, but they will. You don't you don't ever hear somebody say, yeah, I used to drink that craft crap, but I <laughs> I went back to my
0: Bud Light. You don't hear that, do you? No, you don't. You're listening to Cincy Breakfast,
2: the voice of Cincy Craft. Hi fans, I'm going to tell you about the new apparel supplier to Cincinnati Brewcast, Pastura Screenprint. Mario Pastura has built his family business with the craft beer movement in mind. They've done custom items for Old Firehouse, Listerman, and many more. Screen printing to embroidery, Pastura Screen Print has the answers for your custom apparel and marketing needs. Contact Mario or any of the pros at Pasteur Screen Screenprint at 513 550 2271 by email at PASTURA.Screenprint at gmail.com and coming soon at www.pastura's Screenprint.com. The craft of custom apparel is Pasteur Screen Screenprint. The
0: Voice of Cincycraft. And we're back. Cincy Brewcast, the Voice of CincyCraft. Craft. So, the beer is fantastic. Thank you. We know that. Everybody in Cincinnati knows that. But I want people to kind of understand a little more, not just about... Who Ryan Geist is because that's you can you know quick google search you can figure out the story of Ryan Geist sure I want to know about you and kind of how you got into this whole thing I think you've got an interesting story of how you kind of almost fell into this uh this this world and now you're you're here and it's 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 kind of fun to me
1: yes it's um I didn't really take a conventional path and and i think there are enough breweries around now that you'll you'll find a lot of people that don't necessarily take a conventional path but um so i'm a organic chemist by trade um i my training is formal training is organic chemistry um got my master's degree down at uh, iu and um graduated there in 1990 and then um I actually, my first job straight out of college was actually here. Um, I lived here between uh, 90 and 96 and I worked for a company um, at the time it was known as uh, Merrill Dow and then it was Marion Merrill Dow, then it was Herx Marion Roussel and then they were bought up several times and then they decided they were going to move their research to New Jersey. Um, so those of us that prefer the Midwest decided to not go to New Jersey. So got a severance package and so I looked for a job to continue my career in the pharmaceutical industry and found one in uh, in, in, uh, Indianapolis at Eli Lilly and Company and um, got hired on there, organic chemist, um, pharmaceutical chemist. And um, I worked there from uh, 96 to 2010 and um, in that time frame uh, Lilly had some great successes where they had some blockbuster drugs but then all those drugs were coming off that that patent, that what they call the patent cliff. So um, they were going through a downsizing, or they actually called it a reallocation <laughs> exercise, um, where you are allowed to look for a job in in the industry, but. In, in the company. However, 5,500 other people are as well. Um, so the the time came, and um, and I was starting to get in that point where I was feeling like. I was just working for a big corporation and I wasn't passionate about my work. I would go into work and they paid me pretty well back then and I got lots of vacation. I'd go in and do my job and then leave and go home and dream about where I wanted to go on vacation next. So uh, 2010 went into my uh, director's office and he said, "Um, sorry to report that your job's being eliminated. And um, I felt almost a great sigh of relief at the time because uh i just wasn't enjoying it anymore i'm like thank you i feel very confident i will land on my feet not quite sure what i'm going to do but i'm going to take some time to decide what i want to do when i grow up so had three months of essentially allowed to work look for a job whatever so um, middle now, of 2010. Had you
0: been home brewing yet at that point?
1: I had, yes. Uh, that's one of those situations where um, uh, my coworker, his name is Steve Quimby. Um, we worked in the same lab for 14 years, and he just kept beating me over the head. It's like, dude, you're a chemist. You should like, <laughs> you should actually <laughs> brew some some beer. I'm like, I just don't have time for it, and then I wasn't really into it, and then I tried it once, and um, then I just started adding more more gear to my arsenal. It wasn't a very sophisticated system, but I did graduate to an all-grain with the 10-gallon got coolers, in. and you know what, I was making some pretty decent beer on it, and I was good to just go along and keep brewing those beers. And then invariably, like you know, many, many other home brewers out there, your friends, your friends, who you're giving free beer to, <laughs> will always say you should open up your own brewery because they want free beer and they want you to keep brewing your beer. <laughs> not saying that your beer's not good. I'm just saying your friends are kind of biased. <laughs> so my friends were that way, but... Um, the, I've always heard from people,
0: the big thing is when your friends offer to pay you for your beer, that that's when things really start <sighs> to change. It's when they're all getting the free beer, it doesn't mean anything. <laughs> Not legal, by the way. When they're, when they're willing to pay, well, yes. eventually if They, they can buy the... yeah. They can your buy friends the can pay you for your beer, for you. beer now. <laughs> yes, exactly.
1: So, um, so I had been homebrewing, I started right around the year 2000, and um, made batches here and there, and became more proficient at it and then um joined this uh, really kick-ass homebrew club in um, indianapolis called mecca brewers and um, some really talented and smart people in that club all science people engineering people that kind of thing and we all um unlike some of the other homebrew clubs i've experienced in the past where like people are doing their own thing and keeping their secrets their recipes secret not sharing processes We have like a blog where we share all of our recipes and and probably one of the most fun experiences I had was uh, uh, another, my fellow bald brother, Bill Ballinger, um, who's now co-owner of a brewery in Indianapolis called Daredevil. Um, He brewed this beer that won best of show. It was this uh, IPA, it was a little bit on the older side, so he entered it as a pale ale. And um, so he shared the recipe with everybody and then he shared it, you know, he had cards with the recipe on it and he's like, hey, man, if you can take my recipe and if you can brew it and win an award with it, that's awesome. So one of our guys, the more artistic guy in our homebrew club, brewed the recipe because if I sub this out for this because I didn't have this and this and this. And if you knew Brian, he's kind of interesting, um, kind of flaky and ethereal, I guess, and cerebral, <laughs> I guess you call him. Um, but he ended up beating Bill and at his own game with his own recipe which like bill was the first person to shake his hand so there's a lot of good sportsmanship on there so um mecca had a really good run of winning indiana homebrew club of the year for a lot of years and then um uh, there are some people over there that would say oh mecca is no longer relevant um well mecca not being relevant means that three of the guys in there turn pro so um you know mecca isn't as big or brewing as much beer as they used to but they still the guys there still because all of their beer. members went went pro, right? <laughs> yeah, so it's kind of like the the feeding ground for for turning pro. So, so I was involved with them, and that really helped me hone my process in. But I still, I was not one of those guys that wanted to to open my own brewery or anything because I don't know a lick about business. I don't know about like if you do a brew pub, you need to know about um, the restaurant side, and I. Worked in the, in in a restaurant when I was in college. And I didn't want any any of that. So um, the time just went on, and then at the end of the day, it's like you know there are thousands of people with formal um, professional brewing education that are far better brewers than I ever will be. That was that was my thought, and so um, what happened there was that the. I, I probably wasn't giving myself enough credit at the time because uh, the, the guys over at Sun King Brewing, um, friends of mine for a lot of years, they, they worked at uh, Rock Bottom and The Ram and, uh, in, in Indianapolis, and they, uh, they hired me to start their quality lab over there. So it's kind of light bulb went off in my head. It's like, hey, if you're like a dedicated science guy and you understand the brewing process, you're, there's value for you in the brewery still i didn't start like brewing and setting up the lab i had a lot of like 14 hour days where i cleaned 200 kegs and scrubbed the bottom of fermenters and filled a bunch of growlers and worked on the canning line and troubleshooted miss seams etc 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 um because brewing is really hard work it's very physical you're on your feet there are hazards everywhere um but those guys saw something in me that i didn't even see in myself so um learned that whole process and thought you know this is really awesome those days that you have those long days and you get a chance to enjoy your own product and see other people enjoying it that's right. that's reward enough so um that was my foray into into brewing with them and um eternally grateful for them and and uh that that Probably that job would have uh, lasted a long time. I I really enjoyed working there. Um, However... (laughs) But the eternal struggle of man. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Um, At the time, I was also dating... uh, My girlfriend at the time lived here, so I was spending weekends here in Cincinnati and weekdays in Indy, so I would get all of my, you know, a good portion of my work done and tanks cleaned and, and all that kind of thing on a Friday so that by the time I rolled in on Monday around nine in the morning, um, I could just like, I was in the flow of things. I could take over the brew if I needed to. Um, I was working with Dave, the head brewer. It was just him and me. It was a single brew day back in those days. seemed so long ago. And um, yeah, I was just really in the groove. And then by the time Friday rolled around at six o'clock, I left and I came here. So um, I was kind of looking for my next next opportunity in the brewing side here in town and, and, at the time, this uh, this city really didn't have very many craft breweries. I think it was Rivertown and Mount Carmel, and that was pretty much it. And then um, I was doing some reading and uh, on the Hopperatives blog, and um, read this article about uh, Richard Dubé um, and the Moreline Lager House and all that. And when I lived here in the 90s, it's like yeah, I really enjoyed Moreline beer and. I uh, drank a lot of that back in the day and so um, I read this article on Richard and and, uh, just was like his charisma and and his background really complimented mine and and I kind of said out loud I I could work for this guy so um, I sent him my resume and didn't hear much Um, and then there's the the famous infamous whatever story of I ran into him at Beer and Sweat (laughs) and this was uh, 2011 August 2011 and uh uh, our uh, God rest his soul, Mr. Uh, Kevin Spatz from uh, from uh, Samuel Adams said, "Hey, Richard's right over there." I'm like, "I'll be right back." <laughs> so I went over and I talked to Richard, and like, I'm sure he gets this. Like, I said, "Yeah, I'm. I would love to be your assistant brewer at the Logger House." And uh, he, as I totally understand, it's like, "Yeah, it's like some homebrewer that doesn't know that comes up with no experience and whatever." It's like you yeah, probably hears it a thousand times a day. I'm like no, really, I have real experience on this, <laughs> and it took me a bit, so he tried the beer that I had homebrewed there, and he, he liked it, and he, uh, later on, he came up to me, and he, he brought me my own beer, he goes, oh, tell me what you think about this beer, and what you're getting out of this, and so we kind of hit it off there, and, and then uh, stayed in contact, and I interviewed over there, and um, I got the job. It was a great opportunity, um, so I, I had a warning from uh, the guys that I work with that at sun king and they're like um the lead brewer (laughs) over there his name is uh, adrian ball he goes dude the second brewery that you work for will always be the most challenging because you've learned how to brew on this system specifically and you're gonna go something totally different you're gonna have to learn how to brew all over again and sure enough he was right i mean uh the system over there was completely different it's a brew pub environment um lots of challenges but uh, at the end of the day I thought that working with Richard was, was awesome because he was always very positive on it. And the days that he wasn't positive, I was, uh, I was positive. And like, he'd, he'd say something and I'm like, well, that's why they pay you the big bucks. And he'd just start laughing and (laughs) he goes, and my friend in our darkest hour, you will always make me laugh. So, um,
0: (laughs) that sounds like a Richard quote. (laughs) Exactly.
1: And, um, those days were, were challenging, but it, it formed a, formed a bond with him. Um, you know, a friendship and, and a, a, a professional rapport with him that um, that to this day I still respect him tremendously and love going over and talking to him at Braxton and he has me do a little bit of work for him here and there with the, with his Siebel work so um, so had had time at uh, at the Logger House and we were like really into a groove and we hired uh, Greg Wilson as our third person and and we were making some good beer there and you know good days and you know I, again I could have seen myself stay there for a very 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 long time but (laughs) lightning strikes again and um so the the uh story was that um i uh being a coffee buff i would go into uh quite a bit um bob bonder our co-founder hero in Tazamiya, and uh, i go in and i chat with bob on occasion bob's like how are things going i'm like yeah it's been kind of a rough week no actually it's a good week this week a bunch of beer that kind of thing and and um, he's like well you know I'm looking to open up a brewery <laughs> I'm like, and, and now you're that guy Yeah, no, I'm not. <laughs> oh like, sure yeah, you yeah, are sure you know <laughs> I've heard this like a thousand times and I'm just like laughing it off and, and I didn't know Bob well enough that like he's the quintessential like um, his actions and his words always follow to a T like if he says something he'll do it and you can never, you never, I never question when he says something. Um, so I learned that that day. He's like, no, really, I've, I'm coming up with a business plan and I'm trying to get one of my friends in on this. And, you know, I've I've got a, a, brew house in mind that, uh, it's, it's down in Mexico right now. And the, and the manufacturers JV Northwest and JV Northwest makes excellent equipment. And, um, I had learned uh, how to brew on uh, Sun King's original equipment was a 15 barrel JV Northwest. So, so my eyes kind of light up cause I was dealing with a, a Chinese brew house that I wasn't familiar with. That was very quirky. And, uh, my joke there is like Bob had me at JV Northwest. Um, <laughs> like, so, so I'm interested, but, but I told him it's like, but dude, I'm, I have a job now. So if you want me, you got to pay me and you gotta hire me away, and he goes, yeah, let me worry about that. So um, uh, that was kind of the first inkling that he was on to something big. And then um, about a month later, he, uh, he gave me a call. He goes, we didn't have to work. I'm like, nothing. He goes, I wanna show you the building, and then the building that we're in right now um, was for rent. It was dirty and dingy and kind of abandoned and all that, and I looked around, and I'm like, this place is like a pigsty. You're going to brew beer? We're going to brew beer here? You're going to brew beer here? <laughs> he goes, trust me on this, trust me on this, and looked around. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of space, and then the, the one thing that was kind of like my glimmer of hope in this sea of dust that was around here was um, the event space. So the event space is in a part of the building that caught fire several years back, and they totally redid it, and it was wood, and it's like, okay, that's my glimmer of hope, and then, like, I... Several months went, not several, maybe two or three months went by and I didn't hear from Bob at all. And then um, his friend, uh, Bryant Golding from San Francisco came in, a former dogfish, former Anderson Valley. And the Bryant's this really goofy, like marketing guy, talks a lot and all that. And we had a beer and all that. And um, had a really good rapport with those guys. And then, um, and then, uh, February of uh, 2013 came along, and um, they they invited me up to Bob's apartment, and they made me a formal offer, and uh, I uh, I took 48 hours to think about it, and I gave my notice, and then um, a couple weeks later, I was here, and and back then um, we're looking over. You can't see this on uh, out there in the radio land, but um, looking back over on where the old brew house is, uh, we've modified it a bit. Um, there were only three. There was nothing there. There, right. there wasn't even a pad. So the, my first official day of work, I was meeting all the contractors. The pad was getting poured. The brew house had been, I jokingly say, smuggled in, but it was purchased legitimately <laughs> and brought in from Mexico. So that was here. Um, so I was coming up with uh, recipes and flushing out some ideas. And um, don't necessarily like the term pilot brew, but I was trying different single hop brews to see what we liked and what we didn't and um, you know some of the best brews that we, we all collectively liked used the hops that were the least available. Of course. <laughs> so that was the biggest challenge from, from day one. And then um, pretty much the rest is history. Um, we got the old brew house fired up and it pretty much worked as advertised. We hired Luke Cole as assistant brewery, came from rock bottom and worked on JV Northwest. And then, um, you know, in the early days, we look back, it's like Luke and I did everything on the production side. We brewed, we filtered, we cleaned tanks, we filled kegs, we cleaned kegs. Um, those were those were quite the days. <laughs> but
0: it really wasn't that long ago. That's what's so crazy to me is that all of this, I mean, we're talking about a span of you're in your, your fourth year now, you know, it's it's... But it's not that long ago. It's not that long ago. <laughs> it's insane to me to, and, you know, it, granted, my experience of craft beer has been Cincinnati. You know, this is this is where I grew up with craft beer. This is the way it was. So it's it's just been this new kind of new wave of craft breweries that have really kind of given me this experience of stuff. So it's, it's well, on one hand, it's kind of normal. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, you've got places like moreline or like... Rivertown or like Mount Carmel that had this other kind of model of how they were going to do stuff. And it's, it's, it's weird to see places like this that just explode and kind of change what everybody thinks about what a craft brewery can be. Even, even, you know, Ryan Geist, when, when you guys opened here, you know, from, from what I understand, the intention was not to have, a, however many thousand square foot tap room, it was going to be production space.
1: It was going to be and exactly
0: the tap room was going to kind of be over here, and just a few people kind of hang out and whatever. Exactly. But then the model changes overnight almost, and people say, "Hey, you no, know, we, we like to drink beer and we like to go out and do it." Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. it just it just it, it's neat to see that. It's neat to see that change. It's neat to see the culture change, with breweries almost. Do you, like? Do you, do you think that places like you guys and like mad tree and places like that are why it changed or do you think it was just bound to change and you guys just kind of dropped in at the right place at the right time. And I mean, not that, not that it was luck. I mean, it was very clearly a a very well thought out place to put a brewery, but
1: I, I think, um, I'll use the surfer analogy. I think we caught the wave just at the right time. Um, so you know, the between mad tree and us were two of the the biggest breweries here in uh, Cincinnati. Um, and I think the two of us, um, you know, we have a pretty clear vision. And um, I think Mad Tree makes excellent beer. Uh, they're friends, and despite people trying to, like, <laughs> make us pick fights with one another, um, I'm walking distance from Mad Tree from where I live. So I spend, when I'm not drinking beer here, I'm drinking beer at Mad Tree more often. Um, so we caught the wave at the, at the right time, and, and I think that a city like Cincinnati can support several of the larger breweries, but um, I think that um, what you you can get away with uh, good marketing and marginal product for a while, but then people will move on from your product. So I think from day one, um, we certainly, and I do believe Madtree, because I talk to those guys quite a bit, I think that quality is very important. And investing in the quality department at the end of the day won't necessarily give you a bigger number on your balance sheet, but It will help you retain customers and it will help um, help you overall in your sustainability and your survivability Um, but I think the next wave really you look at at the neighborhoods around Cincinnati like some neighborhoods just support a neighborhood place right like you look over at like the Woodburn area and you look over at nine giant Pleasant Ridge and I can think of a few other areas like Northside and all that those those places are like neighborhoods that clearly can support a craft brewery and um, you know there's a theme and a concept going on and um, and I think those places will be around for a long time I think there are also communities in the city that are not apt to support a, uh, a craft brewery like Westchester do, just doesn't seem to me to be like that place where people go out and walk <laughs> down the street to get beer um, I do remember you're going you're to fire up the dogberry boys now <laughs> I, but, yes yes <laughs> <laughs> so this this is my opinion, but um, you just look at like what's the walking community there like, and I think that that local breweries and and the walkability of an area is pretty intertwined because right. I think at the end of the day um, there are tons of people here at Ryan Guys that live up in Pleasant Ridge, and they will walk down to Nine Giant or they'll walk down to their neighborhood bar, and um, neighborhoods like that support local, and, and it's really, truly, and even, you look at Braxton over in Covington, it's like, Covington's a great community to have a brewery. And, um, you know, they, they're they doing it right down there as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so if you can't find that community, then you need to come in and, and have, um, you know, something that differentiates you, and um, I think Scott, Scott's differentiated by the fact that, <laughs> that he's a really good brewer, and even though he's by the airport, and it's not necessarily a community where he gets a ton of foot traffic um he's a really likable guy and his beers are really good and um his brand is out there enough that it it draws people in and um love what he's doing over there so um yeah i mean size size wise we're far beyond what we thought that we would be at this time we're far beyond our five-year business plan and you know, we're writing up new business plans every every six months, but <laughs> nobody's more surprised than I am. And um, I think you brought up a good point about the tap room. It's like when you originally plan on your tap room is going to be production space, then you realize how many hundreds of people you get in here on a weekend. Um, they love the experience, and they seem to like the beer, and they stick around. They have a few and. Um, serendipitously, we're on the very edge of the streetcar. Like at the end of the day, the streetcar dumps it dumps people off right here, so that's helped us a little bit. And we have a rooftop deck, and um, you they're just a little rooftop deck. Just a little rooftop <laughs> deck that unfortunately just closed, but it's there's a great view up there. So um,
0: let's yeah. take one more quick break. Sure. Um, I want to dig into a topic that I think is is kind of a fun one, kind of. Catches a couple different things. I want to talk about how you how you market something like this because you guys have been brilliant with your marketing plan. And then I wanna talk about the ever ending, ever non ending rumor of the big beer buyouts. Ha, and all that sure. stuff, you know, because you can't get away from it. So you can't get away from it. <laughs> we'll be right back, Centsi Brewcast, the voice of craft
2: Beer, <laughs> beer is about having fun. The dream, the dream is definitely the fact that we went from homebrewing in a garage to where we are today, right? That is, that is the dream. Where we go from here, we're gonna, we're gonna continue to figure out as we grow. Uh, we, uh, and we don't know the answer. I don't know the answer. Can you have more fun <laughs> with your clothes on? I don't think so.
0: we <laughs> yeah, are yeah. listening to Cincy Brewcast voice of Hey everybody, we're brought to you by Brewers Buddy, your best friend in brewing. Brewers Buddy is the latest home brewing system on the market. It's a patent-pending, gravity-fed, beer home brewing platform made affordable for anyone who loves the craft of brewing beer. It's versatile, durable, affordable, and it's safe. You can follow them at BrewersBuddy on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and you can find out more about them at BrewersBuddy.com. Make sure you pre-order now at www.BrewersBuddy.com. Brewers Buddy, your best friend in brewing.
2: This is Steve Shaw. This is Eric Bosler. Hi, my name is Gamal Nagy. Hey,
1: y'all. This is Sean Willingham. This is Brett Coleman-Baker. Hi, I'm Scott LaFollette. Hi, this is Evan Rouse. Cellar Dweller Craft Beers. Darkness Brewing. Rivertown Brewing Company. Admissible Brew Works. Urban Artifact Brewing. Blank Slate Brewing. Braxton Brewing Company in Covington, Kentucky. In Cincinnati. In Northside. In Hamilton, Ohio. Bellevue, Kentucky. Mar, Ohio. You're listening to Cincy Brewcast. Cincy Brewcast. And you're listening to Cincy Brewcast. The voice. The voice. The voice of Cincy Craft
0: listen to Cincy Brewcast, the voice of Cincy Craft. This is The Gnarly Gnome, and we are back on location at Rheingeist, tucked away in the corner. There will come a day where we do big live blowout shows again, but this is not one of those. This is the kind that I really like to do. Two microphones, easy setup, Mm -hmm. quiet corner, although you can probably hear... Is there Wiffle Ball tonight? Yes, there's Wiffle Ball tonight. Which... what brewery has wiffle whiffle wall tournaments every Monday? I, uh, I like sisters. to joke
1: around about um, our brewery does the fake sports very well. Um, <laughs> there will be people out there that hate me for that. but Your you know,
0: brewery does all the sports that I'm able to play. <laughs> yes. Um,
1: the one that I really want on the rooftop is uh, my favorite fake sport, uh, Putt Putt Golf. That would be amazing. I've been trying to talk them into that for a while now. and a ton of for ears. It's either that or the driving range. Uh, as you know... Um, um, Samuel Adams is just a couple hundred yards from here. It's like just tee up and try and hit one of their tanks. That would be, that'd be pretty awesome. They,
0: they would love that, especially since you guys have moved into Boston now. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. And start some kind of intergalactic beer war. I don't think he's the guy you want to start a war with either. No,
1: no. Jim Cook is great, actually. Um,
0: has he been in here?
1: I'm, I'm sure he has. I haven't been here when he's been here, but I'm sure he's been in. Mm. Um, I know that our... Uh, Bob our co-founder has talked to him on the phone before so
0: I'm, I've been trying to get that interview for a couple of years now I've, I've talked to a couple of people at the brewery talked to Jennifer Glanville their, uh their I don't know what her actual title is over there in, mm-hmm. in Boston but um, director of Brewing operations something mm-hmm. like that something real fancy sounding yep um, we'll get him one of these days yeah and <laughs> maybe we'll do the interview from Ranga he would
1: yeah he would be a great person I mean he Anytime he gives a talk, and I've seen him do many, he's like, he's got a beer in front of him, and you know he's probably a couple sheets of the wind by the end of it, but he he tells great stories, and, and really, he's the guy, for me personally, that, um, you know, you hear his commercials from, from back in the day, and, and saying, you know, we spill more, or you know, the big guys spill more beer than we brew, and it's like, they're one of the original, like, craft people, and so they inspired a lot, and um, I, I even though people may say, oh, I don't drink Samuel Adams, they're not craft anymore, I'd, I'd like to kind of give him uh, the, the the nod and, and the handshake that without him and, and the guys over at uh, Sierra Nevada, you know, they paved the way for all of us and they made life a lot easier for all of us that we're not alone fighting the bigger guys alone that we have we have there's, guys like that
0: there's there's a whole class of breweries from that that time you know the deschutes and sierra mm-hmm. nevadas and places like that new that belgium, just, new belgium mm-hmm. you know of course anchor You know, places like that that just um kind of set the groundwork for what you could do and are still just just trucking along and still doing it and that's that's something that's fun to see but you know we talk talking about sam adams and that's nice um, fun transition into the whole marketing thing because, you know, you talk about him on those commercials and it's very genuine. Yes. But mm-hmm. it's also very brilliantly marketed for what very. craft beer is. What I find so interesting about Rheingeist is for so many years, you know, craft breweries, marketing, it's always kind of had this... You don't want to look too professional. You almost mm-hmm. have to be scrappy and have to have some kind of... Um, I don't know thrown together look to what you are as a brewery and you guys are also right at that time where that kind of shifted and kind of changed and um well at least definitely here in Cincinnati where it was a clean look you've got these cans with that 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 ghost on it you know and it's it's everything is is beautiful and it all fits together it's 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 this cohesive brand and i'm just curious to is that some kind of detriment because you hear people all the time talking about how you guys may be a marketing machine that also makes beer yeah the marketing company that brews the occasional
1: beer no i've said that (laughs) i've said that sometimes in jest and sometimes less so myself um so yes i think it it can be um there are there are many breweries out there that um market themselves very heavily and very successful and um I look at our friends over at New Belgium. It's like their marketing is is brilliant, um, but I think you can make probably the best beer in the world. But if you don't have good marketing, you won't last. Right. I think marketing is very pivotal to the sustainability. You, you certainly
0: can't become this.
1: Right. That yes. That's that's my opinion. Um, and whether it's true or not, I don't know because I'm not a marketing person. But. Um, and and I wasn't super involved, like I'm not very artistic, I'm very science level. It's like you can show me something and I'll give you my ideas on it, but I can't like create any of the stuff in my head or even if you can if you talk about it to me, I can't visualize in my head. You need to write it down so I can see it and then I can say yes or no and <laughs> and the logo is going a lot of different directions and I kinda gave my opinion yes and no. And the the one they decided on wasn't my favorite, but at the end of the day, when I'm out in in some uh, account at a retailer or whatever, um, I think that the simple, clean look really works. And um, the, the thing that I really notice is, you know, if you look over at those tap handles over there, um, those eyes are always looking at you if they're, you know, facing anywhere near us. Right. Especially a two-dimensional eye that's on a can. I mean, two-dimensional... a a two-dimensional picture of eyes, they'll always be looking at you no matter what angle. So they're kind of mesmerizing you and hypnotizing (laughs) you and and telling you, you got to come over and try me. So that will get people to try us once in situations where they may not have before, but then it's it's the quality that will make people come back. back. Um, And Bryant likes to use the phrase, the first sip, demands the third and I always ask him where the second one go and <laughs> we <he's>, never know <laughs> and he's looking at shiny <laughs> objects and all that kind of thing but but yes I think marketing is pivotal um I think gone are the days where like it looks like you can like make your can labels look like they were made with crayon and that kind of thing it's just like I I just look at that and uh, and when we try beers from all over the place it's like some of the marketing is really well done and some of the the branding is just like you know, these guys obviously aren't marketing people. They're they're they have brewery backgrounds well, or whatever.
0: It's frustrating for me too because I'll see a place that has just the worst marketing in the world, and I'll yep. try something. I'm like, man, this is really good. Yeah. And then I start to think, all right, so because this is so good, what could they be if they would just put a little bit of time and a little bit of focus into these other sides of the business and and take that extra step? What could this place become? You know, and it's it's almost, it's, it's frustrating. You get mad at people for it. And at least I get mad at people for it. And, um, I think there's, there's a lot more aspects to craft beer than just the beer that's being made. And it's, you know, the marketing is just one small side of it, mm-hmm. but it's a side that I love to see. I love, yeah. I love branding. I love marketing. I love that kind of stuff. I love, you know, the, the community support from breweries, you know, like I, I love that side of stuff too. Like there's, there's all these other aspects of what a craft brewery is. And it's, it's so hard to Put it into one tiny, neat little package, but
1: it is, and yeah. and I think that uh, people are getting that. And you look at like any any company from any industry, really, um, that's selling to a consumer. Um, we have a large one here, Procter and Gamble. I mean, the the brand itself is worth you know billions of dollars, and they have like you know how many ever dozens or hundreds of brands under the Procter and Gamble umbrella. You know, Tide and Downy and all that. It's like that brand itself is worth something and um and not just the beer and not just the building and all that so so that's part of building up your brand and part of building up your business i think it's really really critical
0: well so the other topic i want to talk about i've heard a rumor you guys are selling out to big beer venture (laughs) capitalists you're selling out to somebody
1: i've i've heard this (laughs) i've actually heard this so um I want to remind people that, uh, in order to be a good rumor, um, it has to be based somewhat in fact. It has to be believable. It has to create a strong emotional reaction. Those are the the primary ingredients. But then the secondary ingredient has to be um, there's got to be a, an element of um, absurdity or humor to it. Um, so that that's like really low hanging fruit. Like. People just see us as, some people out there see us as this, like, okay, we're going to, um, you know, Built build up out. our brand, and our brand is worth X number of millions of dollars, and then we're just going to sell out. And and there are examples of breweries that have done that. Um, Golden Road, which we have a, a couple people here that used to work at Golden Road did that, um, and the owner had her own reasons for doing that, and I won't judge it. It, it is. She's sold that, sold to bigger beer so um i actually did get a text from somebody who shall remain anonymous local a couple months ago saying you know i heard a rumor about you guys i'm like oh this is the rumor about we're selling out to big beer he goes yeah how'd you know i'm like yes because i hear it all the time um so i sent it to our owners and and then bob was like okay that's it we're gonna like we're gonna address this directly so he he uh prepared a statement, Um, and like I said before, Bob does what he says and says what he means. He's a very straight shooter, and went through all the reasons why we're not gonna sell to the big beer. Um, We all, as Rheingeist employees, um, are invested in this business from the heart, and uh, we're very passionate about it. We've we've built something here that's very special, and um, I think if you look at the success that Bob and Bryant have had, and and uh, they uh, they want to share that success among employees. So, if you look at like the way that Bob will go around and talk to everybody, and and uh, you know he doesn't want anybody working 80 or 90 hours a week. He wants people to be well compensated. He wants people to feel valued. He wants people to feel like they they hear him, and and. Um, know he's been giving people more benefits over time that's probably at the end of the day not necessarily beneficial to the bottom line if you look at it from a distance but but it is um we have probably one of the lowest uh turnover rates um probably in the industry or very close to it um we've had very few people leave and, and go on to do other things and um we're always getting resumes from people and And uh, I think at the end of the day, when you read that statement from Bob saying, you know, our plans are to remain independent um, and that's not just today and that's just not next week. And, um, you know, Bob told me, it's like, yes, I did get a letter from AB and I politely sent back. It's like, we are not meeting and we are not interested. Didn't even enter in a conversation. Um, So I think that that's reassuring that, I feel flattered that they would actually send us a letter like that, Um, but I feel more reassured than ever. And if somebody was trying to start a rumor to try and cause some discord here internally, I think the statement that Bob and Bryant released actually um, did a 180 degree turn, I think that there are far more people that respect us more and there will always be the haters that say, well, just because they said it today doesn't mean it won't happen tomorrow. Well, I, I can pretty much guarantee you that if Bob Bonder says something that his word is as good as gold. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm planning to, um, live my career out the rest of my career out here. Um, I'm one of the older guys in the building, (laughs) so I realistically see myself working for another 12 to 14 years and, um looking forward to retirement whenever that decides to happen. But I, I see this as my place where I'm not planning to leave here ever because of the way the culture is. And, and I think some of the best breweries in the in the U.S. and, and the world aren't the biggest ones but have that, that culture and uh, you know, some of the bigger breweries have lost people. And, and there will always be attrition in this business. It's kind of like the restaurant industry. There's right. turnover. But, um, but we have some some constantly getting resumes and constantly experienced people coming up. And, um, you know, we've on the production side, we've hired some, some brewers from other breweries. We have, uh, Aaron Stryker is the lead brewer and he came from Michigan and Chris Shields, a uh, brewer who's now running the education program came from mystery and Luke came from rock bottom. And we've hired internally from people that just worked their ass off on the canning line. It's like, we're going to promote you sort of yes we're promoting <laughs> you to assistant brewer so those guys um work the late shift and and we run 24 hours four days a week generally on the on the new brew house the 60 barrel brew house um friday is generally a quieter day so the the late guys work a little bit longer hours monday through thursday and work little if none on friday and a couple of the guys work weekends and so so it seems to to work out pretty well and and um yeah, I think all the brewers generally get along.
0: So do you think that we're going to see that where somebody else here in town does eventually sell out to Big Beer? Or do you see this nice little happy community of these independent
1: breweries and their own little neighborhoods, everybody getting along? Does that change at some point? I think it will. I think um, as time goes on, the, the breweries here that um, make... Quality beer will endure, um, regardless of their size. Um, what does
0: that mean to endure? Though, like I've, I just, I have this fear of people answering to investors or needing to, to retire. You know, something. Uh-huh. You know, those, those, those questions that like there isn't really a good answer for yet because this industry is still growing so fast. You know, mm-hmm. like we just, you don't have those. Easy answers of how that happens.
1: You don't. I think enduring is is you still enjoy what you're doing. You're still producing a quality product, and and you're making enough beer, and you're making enough money just to, to live off of. Um, so the um you know my hope for everybody here in the area is to is to endure and survive. So um, if you're a nano brewery here in town, my hope for you is that you become larger than nano, and but you continue to do um dogberry
0: and westchester is moving up to 10 barrels hey
1: that's a that's (laughs) a that's a great that's a great step um that's a great you know not over an overwhelming jump in 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 uh size and all that you know things do change at scale and and it's not just as easy as like scaling up your recipe by a factor of 10 um that takes quite a bit of practice and um, even the big guys have problems doing that um but also you know, maintaining your brand and, and your rapport with your customers. Um, and then just trying to remain accessible, like here at Rheingeist, I don't want people to, I mean, there are, there are people out there that hate us, You know, there are people out there that hate everybody, just simply for the fact that we're bigger, we're bigger than anybody else here in town. Well, is that really a good reason to hate us? Um, or all we do is make hoppy beers or whatever? Um. And uh, you know, same can be said for any of the breweries. Uh, everybody's got a hater out there, but um, but I hope that the the people that that like us and love us and promote us outnumber the people that hate us. And um, also part of the the equation here is um, and the, on the marketing side and branding is like merchandise sales. It's like we sell a lot. I don't know the exact number, but a lot of dollars worth of merchandise out of this, and you can look over my uh, right shoulder here and see the new Your merch counter. fancy store. new little merch counter. Um, so people are paying us money to market our <laughs> brand, which is like, thank you for that. Well, I was
0: I, I was joking with somebody the other day. There was something written, you know, when you guys first opened up the, the first 1,500 glasses, walked out the door. Oh, yeah. And I've heard a lot of breweries complain about their glasses walking out the door. and They do. I, you underst- just take that I, underst- I understand that pain. But you know, somewhere now, somebody's got your glass with be- probably not even your beer in it. Mm-hmm. Beer in it, and they're sitting there drinking on it, and it's it's free marketing.
1: It's a marketing cost, <laughs> yeah. We're ha- we're happy to do that, but please don't steal our glasses. Yeah, don't we'll steal glassware. Yeah. Do, don't
0: don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Do yeah. not steal glassware. It is a horrible thing that people do. And it if you saw the numbers that it costs breweries for stolen glassware and broken glassware, it's insane. So just don't. Don't be a dick.
1: Not as much as people
0: that don't return kegs, though. Well, that's a whole other issue. Yeah.
1: Well, um, on that note, we do have a bunch of like really cool glassware that aren't our are normal pints, like uh, some dad glasses and I some love Panther those. glasses. I love and those. All that. so much. Um, I I love the design of those. So, for those listening that don't have TV at home, which is all of you, um, imagine um, a glass that looks like a can that just doesn't have a lid on it and that's kind of what these glasses look like.
0: There's lots of cool stuff and you guys have a whole section on the website too where people can see all the stuff and I, you can buy it online, right? Right, you can. Yes. So, I mean, there's, mm-hmm. you know, if you if you live in Fairfield like me and it's really long haul to get downtown and you can't get there all the time and it's Christmas shopping time and you need to get people stuff, get online and buy it. So. Yep. Um, What else do you want people to know about Ryan Guys that they don't know already?
1: Oh, um, we do brew beers other than just hoppy beers. Um, we have, uh, the Belgian styles are really kind of close to my heart. We don't brew a lot of them because I think that um, they're kind of misunderstood and sometimes they don't sell well, but um, I'm uh, I'm as much a fan of a good Saison um, or a triple as anybody and the, the Saison that I particularly like that we brew is called Fool. Um, I like the combination of the hop that we use in that with the actual Saison and we haven't brewed a Belgian triple yet. Look forward to doing that in the near future. Um, you know, we really enjoy what we're doing. Um, I don't want to say that people would come in and work here for free, but it's almost like that. And um, you know, at the end of the day, we're we're a space. Um, I, th- I think I, I'm i confident in saying that we're, we're a destination brewery. Like people will come to Cincinnati. And one of the reasons is because we're here and that wasn't expected. I mean, um, this uh, tap room was supposed to be production space, so we had to buy the rest of the building, and be able to put production space. So.
0: Well, and you can't you can't say enough about this tap room without actually seeing it. It's it's right. one of those experiences that when you walk up those stairs um, and you walk through those doors into that space the first time, just for that experience, you guys are a Cincinnati destination, and and you'll get um, a pretty
1: good workout um, going up a couple flights yeah, stairs. Try to hauling here, so. the stuff up there. Yeah. Um, so
0: you guys have this tap room that people can come and experience. You have beer all over Cincinnati that people can go and grab and experience. Like it's, a, there. there's no reason that anybody listening to this doesn't know about right. at this point. Right. Um, one more thing that that I didn't even get a chance to talk about when we talk about beer, you know, the the sour side of stuff. Oh yeah. So we talked mm-hmm. about barrels and we talked about that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, Peach Dodo and Trips, I feel like, are some of the most talked about beers that you guys have put out in the last. Well, I mean, to- Dodo was last year too, but as far as in the last year, people are just kind of exploding about these beers. Are we going to see more sour stuff from you guys, or?
1: I think that um, you will definitely see peach dodo in the seasonal rotation um, so that is uh, those those sour beers are ones that can be turned around quickly so what we do is um, the vernacular in the industry is called kettle sour but we don't actually sour it in the kettle we, we sour it in a fermenter um, once you get over the fear of of having lactobacillus bacteria in a fermenter you realize it's stainless steel and it can be cleaned and all the soft parts can be autoclaved or just replaced so once you get over that fear and once your brewers are careful about not like spewing um, that bacteria <laughs> all over the brewery, then then you can actually control it much better in a fermenter. There's a, a high level of control of the oxygen and the temperature in a fermenter. So, um, so basically what we do on those beers is um, we have a, a mixture of two lactobacillus strains that we get from a place called Omega Yeast Labs up in Chicago, and the two bacteria um have optimal temperatures at two different temperatures one's optimal 85 and the other's optimal at like 95 to 100 degrees so if you keep that that souring um temperature right around 95 you'll get the proper ph drop and you'll get enough titratable acid in there lactic acid most of the time that once it's done then you can um what we do is uh we'll boil it we'll, we'll bring it over on the old brew house here and we'll boil it in batches and then um then it's all the lactose then it's safe then then we just fermented out with a regular um ale yeast. um i can either confirm nor deny that in fermenter number 12 right now it may or may not be there may or may not be a sour culture in there that's awesome and it may or may not be a beer that we brewed earlier this year that's not peach dodo I'll just leave it at that um, well, that's awesome yeah I think we wanted to do trips again just for the the holiday season because it has that nice beautiful color oh, it's gorgeous um, and and it has good shelf life and people enjoyed it and it's a little bit higher in alcohol for sour um, so that certainly can be um, that's one half of the answer to the question the other half is that we have some sour beers and barrels downstairs that take much longer since the the temperature goes up and down down there and we've um found a wild i believe it's wild yeast strain here in house um we've got a new machine in the lab that we can actually profile that but um it's uh it's producing this really wild kind of high tropical fruit note to it and uh, isolated it off of this one tote and it's not in any of the other ones but it's producing some really nice flavors to it and it's always great when you get something that's kind of latent and um, been latent in-house, and then it takes off. And so if you,
0: if you guys get a wild hair up your ass, you could replicate that strain and do something?
1: Yes. Um, our lab isn't necessarily set up that we can actually... Um, the trick with those wild strains is um, take uh, take a lab that's better equipped to actually isolate those strains. We could do it here in-house. Um, you'd need a pretty steady hand to be able to do it, but you can plate these things and see the different colonies, and then analyze those colonies and some colonies may be desirable and some may not be um so you want to isolate the ones that are the most desirable and use those for their good characteristics and then the not so desirable ones you want to not use so um we could probably do in-house but probably would have somebody else do it and then bank the yeast for us or bank the bacteria or the or the the culture so um that's in the works here over the next year but um definitely have some sour stuff down there that um over the next year we'll want to profile and um We'd love to bottle some of those, put them in a format of bottle that can more easily handle higher pressures, that kind of thing.
0: That's fun. Yeah. That's cool stuff. Yeah, uh, exactly. So keep your eyes on Rheingeist the next year, the next, not just the next year, I mean yeah. the next, <laughs> you know, the next the next wave of Rheingeist is going to be really fun and see as you guys kind of start to stretch your legs a little bit, eventually can start to... Um, breathe a little bit and you know the growth has been so incredible and so so it's it seems like that's the story of cincinnati in the last couple years is just growth and growth and growth so it'll be neat to see um places like you guys in mad tree once you have a little bit of room to kind of stretch out and and see what you guys can really start to put out so it's um it's gonna be fun to see you guys grow up which is a stupid thing to say (laughs) (laughs) you know, you come in here but, it's like, it, yeah. but it really is like to see you guys kind of grow into who you are and um again thank you very much for having us here i'm
1: going to give a quick shout out uh on sours we uh luke and i uh luke who's now our barrel master formerly assistant brewer um we were having margaritas one night and uh came up with this margarita, margarita monday. monday so it's very very limited um uh, part of the frequently asked questions is I'll see things on Twitter all the time. Why don't you can X? It's like, well, if we if we want to can something, you need to, like, buy cans and lots of 200,000. And you can't just slap a label on a can. So that's why we don't can everything under the sun. We'll release some in bombers. But that one's even more limited because it's a goza that was infused with lime and lime salt and aged in the tequila barrel for six weeks. And it's one of, like, those things that just kind of it was a conversation between Luke and myself. And it of had this life to it that we really enjoyed so yeah, fantastic beer thank you <laughs> well, we need to make more
0: yes you do <laughs> well thank you very much thank you um everybody please check out ryan geist if you haven't been down here already i don't know what you're waiting for but do it
1: um, the streetcar drops you off right at our doorstep people so it, come it on it
0: just runs around from brewery to brewery in cincinnati and it's stupid to not come down here and just spend an afternoon um, yeah, go play play to football.
1: Yeah, go to Taft and then come here and then go back downtown.
0: That's, That's right. Pretty easy stuff. So. Cool. Well, thank you very much. Thank you. Sensei Brewcast, the voice of crowd Craft.